Herzlich willkommen zum On the Way to New Work Podcast und bevor es heute losgeht, begrüßen wir unseren heutigen Werbepartner Teamleader, von denen habt ihr schon in der letzten Folge gehört, es ist eine Cloud-Lösung, die alles in einer Lösung hat, was man so braucht als kleines oder mittleres Unternehmen, also CRM, Projektmanagement, Zeiterfassung, Rechnungsstellung und so weiter. Heute geht es aber um was anderes, denn Teamleader hat die Herausforderung, dass in jedem Land auch andere weitere Apps integriert werden in diese Tools, die man ja gerne benutzt im täglichen Bedarf. Das heißt, was Teamleader gemacht hat, ist, die haben einen Fonds aufgesetzt für einen Marktplatz, in dem es jetzt schon hunderte von Integrationen gibt. Damit das aber noch mehr werden, geht dieser Fonds von einer Million Euro Geld für weitere Software-Tools aus. Sprich, wenn ihr jetzt gerade dabei seid, etwas zu bauen oder was gebaut habt, dann könnt ihr dort mitwirken und darüber auch eure Kunden erreichen. Eine großartige Idee, wie ich finde. Jedes Unternehmen sollte sich natürlich anschauen, passt es, passt es nicht, welche Softwarelösung ist die richtige. Aber hier gibt es jetzt eben einen Marktplatz, wo man dann wirklich gucken kann, was kann ich mit in meine Anwendung integrieren und ihr habt die Möglichkeit, darüber Kunden zu erreichen. Schaut euch das mal näher an unter www.teamleader.de/blog und jetzt viel Spaß bei der nächsten Folge. Welcome to the On the Way to New Work podcast. We're in New York. I'm sitting here with my partner Christoph Magnussen, and my name is Michael Trautmann. And we're sitting here at Facebook, and uh, we're talking to Patrick Harris, VP Global Advertising Relationships, or what is it the, the title? Global Agency Development. Development. Oh, yes. Okay. So you are. The most important guy for me at Facebook. I'm very proud and happy to be here. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for letting me join. Excited to be here. So we start our podcast always with a little introduction of our guests. So m maybe you tell us uh, what what brought you to Facebook and where you're from and what did you do before? Sure. So um, I've spent the better part of the last 20 years trying to do uh, one thing in my career, which is connect Madison Avenue uh, to Silicon Valley. Um, and it's still what I would describe as a, a work in progress, right? There are two constituents that think they uniquely understand each other very, very well. But in fact, what I've learned and what I've observed over the last 20 years is they don't always see eye to eye. And so, um, you know, what brought me to Facebook uh, almost seven years ago was just the opportunity that I saw emerging just in terms of consumption and where people were going and the habits that were changing online because the, the prior seven to eight years before coming to Facebook, I saw a very similar emerging trend that was happening in the search space. So I spent a lot of time uh, in the early search space, you know, starting in 1999 with a little company called Ask Jeeves, mm. um, which was sort of a pre-Google company. Um, you know, Yahoo Search and AltaVista were sort of all the rage of search engines at the time. Then I had the opportunity to go work with some friends uh, and start a search engine marketing firm called Reprise Media, where I was like the first leader of business development there, which was eventually sold um, to IPG. Uh, and then went to Microsoft, you know, when Microsoft was uh, really looking to start battling Google in the search space. Um, they had MSN search, it became Live Search, eventually it became Bing. And what led me to Facebook at that time, almost seven years ago, was I was seeing uh, a very, very similar transition in terms of what had happened in Web 1.0. 
um, into search and then this whole notion of what's happening from search going into social. And so it's been uh, it's been a really amazing journey, but one that uh, feels fresh and unique every year, given uh, how dynamic the business environment is today. You just mentioned it in the very beginning, like when you started here in New York seven uh, seven years ago, you were 25 people. We were about 25, yeah, 25, 30 people in New York. It was principally just uh, just sales folks, um, and uh, now we've we've blossomed uh, to roughly 2,000 employees uh, here in the New York metropolitan area, and. Uh, And it also has become a big center for engineering. So, um, you know, prior to a few years ago, most of, if not all of our engineering resources were were based in Menlo Park um, in Palo Alto before that. And now we have engineering hubs in Seattle, uh, in New York, and as well as in London, which is which is great. Well, and uh, yeah, we just had a like, very, very short tour of the office, so it feels really nice. But you said it's very hard to, like, actually get the space in New York to have everyone in one building. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that you know, growth growth is a good challenge. Uh, those are those are problems I think most companies like to have. But it's um, you know it's great to have a strong position and foothold in New York. It is the so much the center of of media and commerce and the financial markets around the world. And so I think it's really important that that we continue to maintain a, a really strong position here and continue to invest uh, heavily in our presence overall in New York. Is New York your your, your largest uh, sales? Uh, office or is is, is uh, San Francisco bigger or, or Menlo Park bigger? Yeah, in terms of uh, just the number of employees in the sales function, I would say you know London and New York mm -hmm. are probably mm -hmm. a close one and two. Um, increasingly, we're we're building more capacity in the U.S. Uh, in Austin, Texas, as well as in Chicago, uh, and then we continue to. Uh, grow and invest in all of our offices around the world. So, you know, one of the one of the benefits or perks of, of my role is I get to see um, not only our partners and how they're operating locally in different countries around the world, but I've also been able to see the rise and the maturity that's happened with so many of our local offices around the world. I remember going, you know, to Singapore six or seven years ago when we were first opening our first regional hub for Asia Pacific. And, you know, we had uh, sort of a Regis office space, a couple of guys sitting on cardboard boxes, right? And you go there now and there's 12 to 1300 employees, you know, servicing um, such a diverse set of markets across a region like Asia Pacific. And so watching that growth has been just an absolute privilege and something that you know, keeps me really energized um, and really being able to learn locally and figure out how to stitch together and translate the opportunities that we should be developing globally. And so, um, you know, a, a large portion of my job is thinking global, but acting local. And it's, uh, it's probably one of the things that just gives me the most energy. But watching that growth and being part of the growth is something that's really energizing. Let's let's stick with that for a moment because my very first experience with Facebook, working with Facebook, was in was in '08. We we talked about that uh, during breakfast, Michael and I, because we had the chance to do the brand ambassador campaigns for Facebook. They they said we want to launch in Germany, and there was a competitor back then called StudiVZ, and um, they had called so-called campus captains and. Um, I remember you guys said, hey, we also want to launch with the universities. And so we had the chance to actually meet Mark, um, the team, the growth team, um, Javier. And the thing that still sticks with me today was how professional Facebook was back then. It was four years old, super professional, extremely focused, well-organized, structured. How did you maintain that during the growth phase and how did you experience that? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the company has always been a very mission-led, mission-focused 
company. And I think as you've seen when you walk around, you know, this office or the offices that I'm sure you've had the opportunity to visit in Hamburg or in London or in Dublin, Dublin yeah. <laughs> um, a few weeks ago, you know, the permeating and scaling the culture is probably one of the most important things. And so we've always, you know, had this hacker culture, but we've always been focused on um, you know, giving people the the power to share, the power to connect, and increasingly, as you as you've probably read, you know, when Mark updated uh, the vision and mission of the company almost a year ago, it's about also giving people the power uh, to build community. And so I think when you have this very kind of concrete vision and mission and purpose, um, it's something that cascades uh, throughout the organization. And I think you know, it's it's a culture where. We want people to come. We want people to feel like they can do their best work here. We really focus on strengths. You know, a lot of companies and organizations try to like fix the things that might be your perceived weaknesses. We really have a strengths-based approach. And I think um, the people that come here very, very much believe in the mission and the vision of the company. And, you know, it doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We, we make mistakes all the time. Um, but I think that, you know, our ability to continue to adapt um, and continue to improve and this whole notion around consistent improvement, consistent learning and making sure that we are um, really being the stewards and 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 being able to really serve the communities um, that we serve, both in terms of consumers that use our products, but as well as the businesses that are small, medium and large that rely on our services to reach the people that matter to them to grow their businesses is just something that I think you've seen uh, from the very beginning. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it's really nice to have that consistency of leadership as we've, as we've scaled because the stories of the past also translate and they're very relevant for a lot of the issues and the issues we will continue to face going forward as we grow. Mm -hmm. What I what I'm uh, mostly also interested in is if I imagine you started with 25 people and now 2,000 people, what changed for you personally, like on a personal level, where you said like, you know what, when we came to the office, this is how it looked like, this is how it felt like, and now because you also said thinking globally, acting locally, like yeah. how does it translate into like actual workday? Yeah, well, I, I remember six or seven years ago, you know, I, when I left to come to Facebook after spending almost six to seven years at Microsoft. You know, I left a, a very large organization, a big team. I had sort of the stereotypical corner office, a lot of the big creature comforts of a, of a Fortune 100 company. And I remember when I came to Facebook, I came for, you know, it was less money, uh, less title, no office, individual contributor position on a team that really hadn't even been incubated yet. You know, I was sort of the first hire on this brand new team called the Global Agency Team. And, and my first job was like, we're going to go put you on WPP because we think that, you know, they're, they're going to be a massive partner for us in the future. Um, and we're going to need someone to help own and develop that relationship because it's going to be a meaningful part of our business going forward. And so I remember spending those first few years basically living on an airplane, flying around because, you know, if there was a top to top meeting that had to happen in Cannes with uh, the WPP board and CEOs, you know, Patrick, you go deliver that. If there's a crisis at an opco on a particular campaign and billing was messed up, Patrick, go fix that. So there was this whole thing of you were doing things at the 10,000 foot level uh, with the C-suite uh, at our major agency organizations, but you were also fi fixing and just doing the day-to-day -day job as well and everything in between. And so, um, 
you know, giving, you know, I think that experience for me was really incredible because um, it gave me like the tactile opportunity to really learn our business, to really use our products, to understand operationally where all the, the challenges and the, the, the points that could potentially slow a partner down, but then also building muscles to really learn how we translate our opportunity and how we inspire leadership at some of our partner companies um, so they can have more clarity on where we're going. Like, where is the market going? Where is marketing going? Where does Facebook fit in? Are we redefining this new future of marketing? And that, that might sound like business speak today, but right in 2011 or 2012, when we were pre-IPO, there was no ads in newsfeed. We didn't have a mobile product. We didn't have measurement. People were questioning whether or not we would be a real business or not. Like that was, you know, that was the condition. And that was that's recent history, but it's easy to forget that today. And so I think the big difference today to answer your question specifically is like we actually have more people in teams. And one of the things I'm most proud of is um, is, you know, our ability to continue to invest in the partner ecosystem, because I think partners are just so critical in our ability to scale and help um, help clients grow and help businesses of all sizes around the world grow. And so um, we've made a much more concerted effort over the last few years as we scale, thinking about how do we build the right products, the tools, the services, the education, the capabilities and competencies that allow our agency partners to be more successful on behalf of the clients that they serve. And so um, the biggest difference is more bodies. Um, what hasn't changed, and it's the thing that keeps me most motivated here, is the culture, right? It's just still a very open, direct, a focus on impact culture. Um, and it's a culture that, that really rewards, um, it really rewards like what we do right and the impact that we have and um, that focus that relentless focus on execution is something that i think um, is still so pervasive um, when whether it was patrick running around the world fixing everything or um, today having more and more teams to help execute but the focus is on execution on delivery let's just jump one time back to, sure. to this what was the main motivation? I mean, really to, to, to decide from this corner office at Microsoft, I, I think it was a Fortune 1 company at this time, not Fortune 100, um, to such a small organization. What, what did you see at this time? Yeah, there's, there's a few factors. So one, I, you know, so much of what I learned, um, you know, in a very formidable part of my career at Microsoft, um, around leadership, around executive management, around coaching, around partnering cross-functionally, working cross-border. Those were all skills that I knew would translate eventually in a growing company like, like Facebook. I knew those first few years there would be things that I would have to unlearn from my Microsoft days, but I knew things that I learned there would also translate in the future. But to answer your question very specifically, like what brought me here was the people. Um, Every engagement through, I think I had 11 or 12 interviews over the course of three or four months. And with each subsequent interview, I got more excited about the opportunity. Um, and it wasn't necessarily just the product and the service, which I was very inspired by. I mean, candidly, uh, when I was working for a small search engine marketing firm and when Facebook first came out, I actually went to get a .edu address from my college um, alumni network so I could get access to Facebook because I had interns working for me that summer that thought I was a loser because they're like, you don't know what Facebook is? You're not on Facebook? And I'm like, I'm not in college. I don't have a .edu address. And so I remember even then hacking my way to get a .edu address so I could even be on Facebook. And so um, I tell you that story because it 
it was so important because um, there was this love for the product very, very early, way before I even came here. But then when I looked at the opportunity to come here, some of the smartest people that I had worked with and that I knew working at Microsoft as we were trying to um, really build a competitive search product to go up against Google, many of them were working in product marketing, many of them were working in our ads interfaces uh, for the early version of Ad Center that was the back end to Power Bing. A lot of them were leaving Seattle and moving to Northern California to go work uh, at this small you know, social media startup called Facebook. And uh, I remember getting a call from a friend of mine, his name's Brian Boland, he's still at the company, he was an ex-Microsoft uh, employee. And he said, you know, I'd encourage you to really look at this opportunity that's coming up at Facebook. They're building these partner teams. You've been building partner teams forever. I think this is really fits to your strengths. Um, it's just something you should, you know, you should take a look at. And um, it was one of those, it was one of those decisions where I knew I would regret it if I didn't. Right. And so the calculus was like, don't look at any sort of short term, you know, ego or monetary or, you know, perceived worth um, kind of measurement and look at like what this looks like over the long term. But um, I found that just good, good people follow other good people. And, you know, the product was right. The opportunity was super interesting. It was uh, intellectually very motivating and interesting. But um, if it wasn't for the people, I probably would have stayed put. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and <clears throat> if, if you still remember your first, let's say, 100 days, was there anything what shocked you, or was it that you jumped in a, from the very beginning? You had this passion. I could see in Dublin a couple of weeks ago, or as we can feel it here. How was the how was the first time? Yeah, it was exhilarating. I think, um, and it still is. There, there's still this sense of um, we'll find a way. You know, there's this notion of the protagonist mindset. We're not going to be a victim. Like we're always going to look at the positive side of things and really try to always find um, a way to move fast and and get the things get things done in a way that is you know best for the people that we serve and best for the advertisers that we serve. And so, this notion of speed and velocity was something that everyone in my interview process talked about. But it was really, really hard to understand until I got here. And I just realized how quickly this company moves uh, and how quickly we move to execute. And so getting used to that pace and that velocity in those first 100 days, it was challenging. But it was also exhilarating at the same time. And the other thing that was very apparent, that was, that was something I had never experienced anywhere else in my career, And I still see it happen today with um, what we call, we call them noobs. You know, new, they're, they're, they're new employees to Facebook and you go through an onboarding process. But there was this overwhelming outpouring of people that I didn't even know that were in the office that would always ask me the same thing, like, how can I help, right? And it was genuine. It wasn't one of these things. A lot of places you join, someone says, how can I help? And then they disappear, right? There was this genuine, how can we help you ramp up faster, get the information that you need, get connected to the right people internally. And there was, there was almost this responsibility of existing employees to say, each new precious resource that walks through that door, this new employee, like we have to overinvest in them in the beginning because that's going to give us more torque and leverage in our ability to execute in the future. And it's something that I still love today, that like this is a place where you can honestly ask for help. Right. And I need help with this. And people will literally pour in and do everything they can to help you solve a problem. 
And so that's, that's a thing that just was, I was so blown away by, you know, you, you, you sort of have that little culture moment of like, what's their agenda, <laughs> you know, cause in most corporate cultures, um, you know, asking for help can be perceived as a sign of weakness. But um, here it was something that was, um, was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, it's interesting because <clears throat> the way you, your people in, in Germany treat us as agencies is the same thing. How can I help is something what I get as a question from Will very often and uh, it's not just something you you live within your people uh, with your people in the company you really treat your partners as well so i believe it <laughs> yeah that's good and tell us when we're not we'll fix it <clears throat> how do you manage i mean this this uh, tempo you have uh, how do you manage growth in terms of how how do you Uh, treat people how do you plan their careers how do you monitor them how do you give feedback are there any special things at facebook um what is your your recipe here yeah in fact um the person i work for carolyn everson is this is a very big topic for her and for our leadership team as well as and we've we've created a program here that we call fuel um and fuel is about really thinking about you know how can how can you build this really sustainable career where you can manage your life, right? Your personal life, you can manage your career and that you can also give back into your community. And I kind of really think about it in those three buckets. And one of the big components around fuel um, and it's better performance, better you kind of better life. And that might sound like a bunch of like, you know, Silicon Valley kind of speak, but it's true. It's like, We want to understand what are the primary motivators for each one of the employees on our team? What are the strengths? What are their special skills that we can leverage and we can put them out into the world, you know, really spending a majority of their time working on the things that they like and where they have um, where they have real strengths. Uh, but to do it is you've also got to think about sustainability um, and, and the elasticity of somebody's time here, because when you are moving at such a fast velocity and pace, you know, you can have people burn out. You know, I have a global team. I travel 250 to 300,000 miles a year. I have people on my team that do that. And so one of the exercises that we do every year is we each write what we call these visions. And the vision, you think about if you're, you know, in the first couple of weeks of January, you actually write it as if it's January 31st, or excuse me, December 31st of the same year. So you write it as if it's already happened. And one of the things that we've noticed is just by writing it down, you have like a 20 to 30% greater chance of it happening. And if you actually share it with somebody, that multiplies times two, right? And so the likelihood goes up that these things happen. And so everybody, everyone in the company has to do this once a year? Not everybody in the company. Yeah? Some teams adopt it, some teams okay. don't. Mm -hmm. We don't force it, but it's a tool that I've used very, very um, heavily with my team over the last three to four years. And what it does is it gives me like, it gives me a real optics into like what's really important for this person. So they're going to have professional goals, things that they want to develop, things that they want to learn, experiences or muscles that they want to build on the job. They also might have things like, hey, I want to have a family or I'd love to live abroad for a few years or right. I want to start um, giving back to this local charity. And so understanding what's imp important to them in their whole life, it actually just drives this real mutual accountability. And it also gives us the ability to make sure that people have time for renewal and space. Because I think one of the hardest things working in all companies right now where tech is so enabled is that people feel like they're always on. And so making sure that people 
feel permission to take the time to renew and to fuel, right, is something that it's really important to, to have because this whole notion of work-life balance, I think is, it, it doesn't exist. Like I actually think it's more about work-life integration and being really clear and really intentional about what matters and what's important to you. And then it's my job as a leader to make sure I'm enabling and creating the conditions for employees to do their best work. And so that's, um, it's something that we spend a lot of time on. And, um, and I think it's a really great way to just have mutual accountability between, you know, me as a leader and the, t the, the people and teams um, that I have the privilege to serve. I love that image of work-life integration. And I feel exactly the same. Like people get overwhelmed by the speed that's happening, the technology, we talk about it every day, actually about like having notifications on on the phone, have them off, like stuff like that. So how do you make sure that everyone in the team is on this kind of same level to know how to handle that? So like, for example, we had a discussion our team this morning, uh, one colleague in Hamburg said, it's very hard to get the information at the moment, like, uh, what's the issue? And I said, you know what, there are two sides. The one side is saying, this is how I would love to do it and I think it makes more sense but you kind of need the permission from the other side that who say yeah let's do it like that and this is a continuous progress what's the experience here at Facebook I have the feeling you have much more experience in terms of speed technology tools to merge yeah listen there's no single good answer one of the things that's been useful and it's it's um you know it's a tactic but one of the things I do with my team is I say let's choose the method of communication that's most important for you Right, so this is one-to-one. -one. So I'll talk about team in a minute. But one-to-one, -one, I have people on my team. I, some of them are phone guys, Yeah. right? They want to talk. One email, two emails, reply to all, like they're gone. They're lost. Like they need to talk. I have other people on the team. And I say, is it Messenger? Is it Workplace? Is it email? Is it WhatsApp? Is it SMS? Like how do you want to talk? What's our primary vehicle? And for a lot of people, it's it's WhatsApp or Messenger. And so that becomes a primary vehicle. Um, so I think understanding like how people like to communicate and what's most effective for them to kind of send and receive to get what they need is an important thing. And so, you know, it causes a little bit more, it's more challenging for mm -hmm. me, but I actually think it's better for the team. And then on a team basis, you know, we use Workplace, which is sort of like the Facebook for Facebook if you work at Facebook. Um, and then in addition to that, um, we've also started using, because we're such a global team, um, we've also started to use uh, the groups on WhatsApp a lot. And we we use them, you know, and that's sort of funny. It's, it's, um, there are no written rules there, but like people tend to not send a lot of stuff on the weekends because, you know, someone sent something once on the weekend and then it gets no responses. It's crickets, right? It's totally quiet. So then all of a sudden people stop doing that. So we're, you, you start to see these norms evolve for the group and the team. And a lot of times we'll talk about it. Like one of the things that we do having a global team is we like to inconvenience somebody. We like to share inconvenience around the world. So Traditionally, in most companies, you have the APAC teams that are always stuck on the phone at 11 p.m. at night on a Wednesday. And so what we try to do is share that burden. So every couple of weeks, we also make sure on team calls that it's like the people in New York, you're on the phone at 11 p.m. and it's 11 a.m. in Singapore. And so there are certain norms and things that I think um, we have to create conditions among the team to make it equitable, but also to make sure that people feel highly connected because we're a very big kind of distributed team around the world. How do you, when we, when I think about that, and it's so funny because we had that um, while dinner yesterday, um, a friend of ours asked like, what should we use to organize our global team? And I'm like, 
what would you like? And he said, yeah, we should use Slack. I said, you know what? The challenge in Indonesia and countries like that is they don't have an email address. So why not use a WhatsApp group? And we talk about it as if it would be there forever. It's there since 2011. And it changed the whole way how people communicate and how it all shifted. So is that something you can see now looking backwards to your old jobs and how it used to be and like what switched to messaging how did that change what what about the social interaction stuff like that yeah i think you know the the speed the speed increases but then the number of surfaces in which you have the opportunity to communicate on has also like exploded ex exponentially and so again it kind of goes back to picking your surfaces so like mission critical information that i need to share with a larger population of people like I use workplace um, and we have groups that you know are connected to this global agency development FYI and so as uh, as someone that works at Facebook like I get to choose like well what are the groups that are most critical and for me I set a limit even on notifications so I say here are the five groups where I absolutely want a notification a hundred percent of the time if information hits here but the other 95 groups that I belong to like I don't want notifications and I'm gonna go seek that information when I feel like it's the right time to go seek that information. And so I think you have to set some real guardrails, both in the communications real time, picking a surface, but then also just being very intentional and consistent about where do you share the most important information, right? And a lot of times I duplicate. I'll put one thing in the group and I also email it. And it's just to make sure that like, you know, cause someone might not have my group set yeah. as one of the five where they get notifications. And so um, I, I'm finding that repetition, repetition, repetition uh, on messaging helps, especially as you're, you know, in a company that's scaling so quickly where you're adding so many, so many new people, but that's been, um, you know, picking a surface I think is a really important tactic. Mm. One more question, Mike, I know then you have hundred, uh, but, but uh, since we're here, uh, uh, it, 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 in the topic, Facebook has the Facebook Workplace has the best engine for video for live video from all the social media platforms using within companies, and we know all the tools, so there is no question. And I know, for example, in Norway, a lot of companies use that. In Germany, it's a harder case. But how much do you use video internally to communicate? I, I do it personally a lot. I love it to like take a video as a note talk into, into the phone and say like this is a thought that's what I want to share a bit more complex show my emotions with it show maybe that I'm a bit uncertain do you use it internally so I personally I don't do it enough I need to actually do it more um, there are other leaders in the company that use video as their primary medium to communicate and it you're right it's super effective especially I think you know after you've had big events like in the advertising world after we go to CES you know, after we have a big client council meeting, after we go to Cannes, you know, a summary on ad week. And so having more of our leaders um, be able to have sort of this unfettered, unfiltered, you know, less produced um, kind of update and video that they're sharing with the people and teams around the company is something we're getting a lot of good feedback on. But personally, I need to do it more. Mm -hmm. So, but it sounds that, that you are within the Facebook organization very individual. So every, everyone has its own style to communicate. Or are there are there special rules that you say? Well, we try to to train people into a certain direction or, uh, because I, I have the feeling everyone does it as he likes to, which I think is interesting as a as your organization is so big. No, I think listen, workplace is definitely like a primary place. Um, you know, 
it's our tool. We use the tool. Uh, I think I was telling you guys a quick story before before we jumped on. But um, please do it know, again. <laughs> it used it used to be. It was like you know when you worked at Facebook. Facebook was your work as well as the product that everyone else that doesn't work at Facebook sees. And um, I remember when we were migrating people over to Workplace, like there was you know a lot of debate internally about like to what extent do we do this? Like having my work life integrated in one place is really useful to me. But as we've grown and you increase the number of products that you're you know, working on or developing against, it just becomes, you know, it's hard to filter all of that information. But now having a Facebook just for my Facebook work in workplace and having Facebook that is what my mom and dad or my friends or my aunt and uncle have, it's, it's actually really nice because it's sort of this, you know, it's a nice divider between this is work and this is life. And Believe me, I still have lots of friends that work at Facebook that show up in my regular Facebook feed, but Workplace is the predominant medium for just how we collaborate and how we share information around the company. How, how does this develop uh, as a business for you? Is it is it nice to have or is this something which is really important for for Facebook to, to sell this to To, to companies. I think what's most important is just, you know, helping organizations and enabling organizations um, to be better communicators with one another. And so, you know, we're consistently asked when we're hosting people uh, for executive briefing sessions in Silicon Valley, like so much of what people want to learn when they talk to Facebook is not just about our ad products and our solutions. What they're trying to learn more about is, is the culture and how to scale their own cultures and everything from You know, how the buildings are designed, to how people sit, to how the VC systems work, to what communication and collaboration software do you use. And so I think the product is, is, a, is a natural extension of our culture and the way that we work. And, um, you know, it's, it's still early for that product, but it's, um, it's a product in which, you know, we have a lot of benefit and we're seeing more and more partners onboarding the workplace product as well. Beside your tools, you probably use conventional things like meetings. And meetings, as we learned in, in many of our pro, uh, podcasts, is, is something which is not working as good as it should be. Do you have special rules for meetings at Facebook? So I think there's, again, lots of, lots of different, you know, sort of norms and rules around the company. Um, some of the things that we've instituted lately just within my organization um, so we do a lot more pre-reads now. So 24 hours before the meeting, like send the deck, send the document, send the thing that you want to discuss. Um, the other thing that we do, and it's, it's a really sort of impactful way to start a meeting is, you know, when you come in, you say my desired outcome for our next 30 minutes together or our next hour together is to brief you on this or get a decision on that or provide, you know, some sort of FYI. Like, the statement or the declaration of a very specific desired outcome is very clear and I think it focuses people. And one of the other things I try to do is, is um, what I call put the last page first. So you think about most presentations you sit in, it's like, here's 20 slides of context, here's all the data to support my argument, and now we have one minute left in the meeting and here are my asks. And so the meat of everything that you wanted to discuss or the decision or the inputs that you needed to make a more informed decision, you just spent the least amount of time on. And so one of the things that we're really trying to do, like just within my work group and team is like, put the last slide first. Here's the decision or the recommendation I have, right? 
here are the things I want you to consider as we go through the data and the deck, and then we're going to have enough time for conversation. And I think it's just the reframing of that. It's a small thing, but it makes the, the, the time and use in meetings much more effective. The other thing that we're doing is you can have, you know, it's like reply to all syndrome. It's like you can have meeting overload. You could spend your whole day just going to meetings. And um, we've given employees just more permission around like, if this is not a meaningful meeting where you can either weigh in and provide input that is going to help and be a net promoter or contributor, then feel free to decline. Like it's okay. Uh, it is okay. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's, we, we can all, you know, we can all get into these traps of all day meetings. One of the things the engineering teams have done and um, I forget if it's Tuesday or Wednesdays, but I think it's like no meeting Wednesdays and where you just focus on like producing and shipping. And so there's certain things that work groups are, and teams are doing to kind of eliminate this, you know, overwhelming like snowball of meetings that can just show up on your calendar. But th th this sounds to me that, that you allow groups within the company to test their own tools. So like thousand startups, Are together one big company is this the the no listen i think we try to give like the the foundation of the things whether it's workplace whether it is email whether it's like any any office or conference room you walk into at facebook around the world has the exact same system like right this one here right the now. exact same system they're outfitted with video you can check in on a pad at the door you can see when the meeting is booked when the room is free And so there are a lot of things that we've created structurally that just make it very easy for people to collaborate and to communicate. Um, but the norms inside of teams will be very, very different. Right. I like I have to share that vocally because people cannot see it, but there is like one large TV flipped. So it looks like a page. And then there is a second large TV as a normal TV. So you have the two. So I guess this is for documents or code or whatever and the other one is for the video then nope so the nope. screen that is if you take out your mobile phone got it so it, you have the mobile phone so you can imagine yeah. you're looking at instagram and a story yeah. and it's a 9 by 16 yeah. format that renders <laughs> we want to have something that looks the same only on a big screen and so Uh, this room that we're sitting in is actually uh, the room that a lot of our team from the creative shop yeah. who do a lot of development and execution of creative ideas. So we'll come in here and look at mocks for different yeah. campaigns uh, in a vertical format. So, so nice. Yeah, there small things like that. Yeah. Like yeah, most yeah. companies, you know, just they would still have the, you know, the, the horizontal screen. But in certain cases, like we want to have the vertical screen. And I, and I have to reframe what I'm always telling you. When, when people run around in weddings uh, and film upside uh, like flipped I, i always say there are no screens hanging mm -hmm. flipped now i have to re reframe and say you have to have the meeting at facebook they have yeah <laughs> but it certainly looks nicer on your mobile device Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, the office space is something which is uh, i guess in your company is is, is crucial uh, as well I, when, when i was in mountain view for the first time at um, at google they they explained to us that they had a a clear idea or a clear vision for their office. When they when they started to grow very fast, they asked themselves, what are the kind of people that we are looking for? And they found, oh, well, most of the people we're, we're looking for are PhD or PhD candidates. And their dream is to stay at a university for the rest of their life. So they, their vision was, we have to build the ultimate campus. So this was the idea. And um, 
my question is, do you have an idea for, for, for how should an office at Facebook look like or are there principles you follow when you build new offices? Probably not the best guy to answer it from a facilities perspective, but having the opportunity to see so many offices around the world, I think the, the one thing that's always consistent is, you know, um, I, I always get excited any new office I walk in around the world because it immediately feels like home because there are certain things that are just consistent. Again, the conference room system, the badging system, um, the Facebook refrigerators, right? You know there's always going to be available drinks and snacks and things like that. You know the Wi-Fi is always going to work really well. Um, you know, there, there's just certain things where it's like you walk in, the posters on yeah, the, the wall, work, yeah. there's an aesthetic. You'll notice in most of the hallways, you might even see out through the hallway here, you'll see a bunch of cable wire that's running in the ceiling. So almost every office around the world, many of them will almost look unfinished. And it's by design because our work at Facebook is never finished. And so there's this sense that things are always under construction, right? Things are consistently going to morph and going to improve. And so um, you'll notice that the aesthetic is very, very similar. But what I think is also really neat about the culture is no matter what office you, you show up around the world, there's also a big emphasis on local artists. So um, in New York, you know, you'll see some really interesting installations down at our building at 770 Broadway. Um, in Menlo Park uh, and in, from the old Palo Alto offices, you'll see some really cool graffiti artwork from our original offices. In London, you might see the same thing. In Germany, you might see something a little bit different. But this whole notion of uh, preserving that aesthetic of this thing is always under construction, but then bringing in a sense of the local community is a big part of what um, you know makes the offices that's, uh, that's feel very, unique, but also very feel good. like home no matter where you are. Yeah, but very good concept, very good combination of feeling home and never never be finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Maybe we we um, we talk a little bit about you personally. So, sure. um, do you have any routines to to manage all the scope of work you have? Do you have uh, special things you do in the morning? How, how do you? What is a typical day for you? Yeah, um, the typical day is usually untypical. Um, you know, I, I spend almost 50% of my time uh, on the road, but, you know, I, I try to spend at least the first hour of, um, or the first half an hour of my day, you know, when I wake up device free. So uh, I don't sleep with the device next to my bed. In fact, at home, like it stays downstairs. Um, I try to practice what I call, um, you know, at least five minutes of gratitude. So I start my day uh, thinking about like, well, all the things that I'm grateful for and the things that I'm looking forward to. I think, you know, living in a world today that can be so divisive and kind of polarizing, it's, um, it's easy to fall into this sort of victim mentality. And, uh, you know, starting and practicing, um, I have a saying at, at the company, I always say my attitude is gratitude. And, and like the team has actually made me shirts that say this now. <laughs> my attitude Which, is and, gratitude. And I just think that there's just this notion of, um, you know, practicing that empathy and gratitude, I think helps me be a better leader, helps me be a better husband, helps me be a better father. Um, it helps me be more engaged. And so in the morning, I, I try to, I try to have a lot more quiet time and just a little bit of time to center. Um, and, you know, I, I try to be up with my kids in the morning, you know, so I can see them for breakfast before they head off on the bus to school. And then um, on the train in, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. When I am in New York, I, I have about an hour's commute between, uh, between my home in Connecticut and here in New York City. And one of the things I do is stand 
every day on the train. So you can sit, but the trains are crowded. And um, I, pref- stand on, on- I prefer to stand in the vestibule of the train, which is sort of the part where the doors open. Yeah. And um, one of the things I do, it's, and it's a little bit analog, and you know, my <laughs> colleagues make fun of me for it, but I try to read like two to three sections of the Wall Street Journal, almost cover to cover, every day. And that is my train in. And it's, um, I've been doing that and also listening to more podcasts lately as well, <laughs> um, which we were talking about earlier. But, but for me, like having a good handle on the business of business and what's happening in business is something that's just super interesting to me. Um, it doesn't have to be connected to media marketing. It doesn't have to be connected to tech. But um, I really love starting my day with just learning about what else is going on in business around the world. And that train ride for me in the morning is, um, is you know, sometimes can be frustrating and hard. But at the same time, it's very quiet. And um, I, I, would, I would say that I learn at least one or two new things a day on those trains that help me be a better informed person when I'm talking to colleagues or when I'm talking to partners. And... Um, and so that's that's something I, I routinely try to do. But I think, you know, device-free weekends is uh, something we, we try to do at home. And I have two young daughters, one of which is a preteen. So you can imagine, like, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of screen time. And we try to minimize that or, you know, try to make sure that, you know, it's good screen time and not yeah. overdoing it. But um, I think we have to set the tone, right? A lot of times our children will take, uh, take their cues from their parents. And so... Um, you know, I, I, we, we try to make sure that, you know, no devices when we're out to dinner or even at our dinner table at home. Um, and you know, when you're connected, you're connected and you're on and when you're off, you're off and, um, getting into those habits are hard. I, I, I'm guilty of breaking them all of the time. And I am reminded consistently by my family when I am breaking them. Um, but it's, uh, but those are just some of the little things I try to do. Very nice. I love that. Where, where where did you get that from? Like, where do you get the inspiration from other people? Is that experience? Because you make a very clear and authentic um, impression on me. Yeah. When you talk about these things. Listen, I steal with pride from from lots of people. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think you, you see the habits of effective leaders all over the place. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think increasingly you know, a leader's role is, is to have more empathy, is to, um, have more emotional intelligence about what's going on in the world around them in order to motivate their people, motivate their teams. But I also, you know, felt that I needed, I needed times of renewal because just being constantly connected to this, I wasn't doing my best thinking, or maybe I was responding in a way that wasn't, um, that wasn't the best. Right. And so I think having more space and time to think and be disconnected actually makes you better when you are connected. Um, but I, I try to steal little habits along, along the way from people that I admire. If you, um, if we would be 15 years old and uh, we would ask you, uh, for advice for, for, for start, for the starting of, of university or whatever, or, or to start a career, what, what advice would you give to, to 15 year old kids? Yeah. Um, you know, pick something you love. I think, um, always be learning, you know, be intellectually curious. Um, I think the learning journey is never over. It's one of the things I admire most about Mark, um, and looking at all these different challenges that he takes on every single year, but there's this consistent and relentless focus on learning. And, um, I think that, 
you know, that's, that's something that young people just need to always be focused on. You know, the learning journey doesn't end when you get out of university, right? Um, it continues and continues. Um, I would say build your people skills, right? Um, you know, you, you have to learn how to make a friend before you can call on a friend. And so uh, learning how to network, learning how to present, um, enhancing your communication skills, all the soft skills um, that are highly correlated with high emotional intelligence, I think are largely kind of left out of a lot of school curriculum and university curriculum today. And I think it's a real miss. Um, you know, finding really smart people with high IQs that know how to program, you know, that that's that's not necessarily the hardest part today. It's finding people that can translate that and that can present their ideas in a cohesive way and can communicate and can network um, and can help inspire others are harder. And uh, I think those soft skills, beginning to learn them at a younger age um, is something that can serve folks really, really well as they get older. If I would ask you for five book recommendations that you would like give me now and say, okay, Christoph, if you want to know me or learn something, here are the five books you read on the plane back. I have, <laughs> I have eight gosh. hours. <laughs> well, I do, I do, I'm a sucker for, um, um, I'm a sucker for some management books, but t typically the ones I like are most are mostly around sports. Um, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. Which it's is fine. great. Um, you know, Phil Jackson, who was the coach of the Chicago Bulls and the LA Lakers, he won uh, 11 championships, but he had a book called Sacred Hoops. Um, and he was sort of always, con you know, considered like the Zen coach, right? Uh, he didn't want his players thinking too much. He just wanted them doing, and he wanted them to be present, right? And he was very calculated with his triangle offense and always had great players and put great teams together. So, um, you know, I, I loved, I loved, I loved that book. Um, I love Jack Welsh's book and principles uh, from winning, you know, that he and his wife wrote um, and his journey at General Electric that's always served as a source of inspiration. And then um, I still love, you know, I love the beats uh, writers as well. So on the road, Jack Kerouac or Cannery Row, Steinbeck. So those were sort of the books that, that sort of really started to appeal to me when I was younger. And from time to time, like I go back, I go back and reread um, you know, those books that I sort of fought my parents that I had to read for, you know, ninth grade English. And now you realize like why they are so important. So yeah, it's a mix. I'm probably hard to define just through books. That's good. That's good. Thank you so much. It was yeah. amazing. That was really, really amazing. I learned a lot, I have to say, and totally different side also from Facebook and learned something new that uh, I now try to apply. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me and thanks again for uh, coming to Facebook New York. Thank you. It's all about the journey. It's all about the journey.